Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church, North Adelaide. You can find more great things like this at citylight.church slash North Adelaide. 1 Corinthians 8, 1-13. Now about food sacrifices to idols. We know that we possess all knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know what they ought to know, but whoever loves God is known by God. So then, about eating food sacrificed to idols, we know that an idol is nothing at all in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things come and for whom we live. And there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom all things come, came and through whom we live. But not everyone possesses this knowledge. Some people are still accustomed to idols, that when they have eat sacrificial food, they think of it as having been sacrificed to a god. And since their conscience is weak, it is defiled. But food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat, and no better if we do. Be careful, however, that the ex- ex- exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone with a weak conscience sees you, with all your knowledge, eating in, in an idol's temple, Won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister, for whom Christ died, is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so that I will not cause them to fall. Amen. Um, So today we've got Mikey, or Michael, Mikey? I call him Mikey. Uh, Mikey's standing up um, to speak with us, and uh, yeah, can I pray for you? Yeah, Is that please. Right? Yeah. Awesome. Uh, Heavenly Father, just uh, we pray for Mikey as he speaks today. Uh, we pray that your word um, is shared, and it falls on open hearts and minds. Um, be with Mikey in this time, and yeah, Lord, bless the words he's about to speak. Amen. Mm. Amen. Thanks, Ruth. Am I on? Do we have? Yes, good. Us. Well, yeah, uh, it's good to be here this morning, guys. Uh, my name is Michael, uh, if you didn't catch that. I um, am a current student at the Bible College of South Australia, uh, which is, I assume that's why Jacko's asked me to speak today. Um, and I'm really excited to do so. I uh, have been really challenged getting into this word, um, and I hope it challenges you as well. Uh, but before we do that, uh, I might just pray again and, and really give this to God. Yeah, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word and um, thank you so much for community uh, and your church. Um, Lord, I pray today that you will humble me uh, and that, yeah, you will really um, speak through me and, and that I will, I will decrease so that you can increase, Lord. Um, I pray that, yeah, you will open our hearts to really hear and uh, understand what you've got to say. Uh, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, So 1 Corinthians chapter 8 is uh, a bit of a banger. Uh, Now, if you are a vegetarian uh, and you note that it's about uh, eating meat, don't switch off just yet because I believe, uh, for lack of a better word, there is a meal uh, in this for everyone. Um, But before we get into the application, it's really important that we uh, really understand the context uh, as to, yeah, what the Corinthians uh, as a church and as a people were going through uh, at the time. So if you're new with us or or if you're visiting, 
Uh, we've been going through uh, 1 Corinthians as a church, um, and we've learned uh, that, the, that the Corinthians were a fairly out there group of people, um, and the Christians in Corinth were almost at a disadvantage uh, when it came to um, knowledge of morality, especially from a, a biblical perspective. Um, Corinth itself was known, as uh, we've heard from, from Jacko, and uh, that, uh, yeah, it was known for its vices and for worshipping uh, various idols and uh, countless things. So marriage was a bit of a joke. Um, divorce rates were all over the place. Uh, you could get divorced for virtually any reason. Um, prostitution was big as well. It was also even um, considered a form uh, of worship uh, in the temple. So you can uh, understand that the amount of difficulty that a new uh, Christian in Corinth um, would have been facing. Um, so Paul visited on, his, on one of his missionary journeys and um, shared the gospel and the people responded faithfully, but uh, as you can imagine, they had um, quite a few questions. Uh, these questions to us nowadays uh, seem almost um, a bit comedic or, um, yeah, we, we, we don't really understand why they would have had them, but... Um, yeah, they, I suppose they weren't as lucky uh, as, let's say, the church in Jerusalem made of, uh, of Jews with a, a strong um, backing in the Old Testament, and at least you know, they had that before um, the good news of Jesus Christ was, uh, was preached to them. Um, whereas, you know, on the other hand, Corinth was um, uh, yeah, allowed to be sort of shaped by um, the world around them. Um, and we've heard how when they became Christians, they were asking things like, okay, so because I'm a Christian now, does that mean I have to abstain from all sex? Or if I'm a Christian but my, uh, but my wife or my husband isn't, do I have to get divorced? And Paul, uh, as we've seen in the last few weeks, simply said, um, no, that's not the case. It's not um, the Bible or um, the gospel wasn't meant to um, rip families apart. So all these questions were around the idea of how do we live uh, as Christians in a very worldly, uh, secular society far from God. Um, and I wonder if that question sounds familiar to you this morning. Um, so when, when Paul is answering these questions, uh, what we have in, in 1 Corinthians is it's almost like listening to a phone call where you can only hear one side. Um, there was obviously letters written to Paul that uh, he was answering. Um, even 1 Corinthians itself is likely to be the second letter that Paul writ, wrote to the uh, Corinthians. Um, so uh, it's, a bit, it's a bit hard when we've got to try and um, yeah, decipher what was going on, but um, I think it's, it's cool that Paul answered these questions um, and uh, we can at least see part of what he uh, or what they were going through as Christians. So the questions that he's answering are sort of similar to the uh, modern day questions of can Christians drink? Can we get tattoos? Can we uh, watch R-rated movies? Can we dress uh, a certain way? So the question, what does it mean to be a Christian in society so far from God, I think is very relevant to us, even though the question of the time and the question for today is can they eat uh, meat offered to idols, even, even though questions like that sound um, silly to us. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go through the text together, uh, and then from the text, uh, we're going to ask ourselves four questions um, that will help us understand how to love ourselves 
well, uh, and also how to self-sacrificially love each other too. Um, if you're taking notes, I'm probably going to spend a bit more time on the fourth, uh, but the fourth question. But let's get into the text. So starting um, 1 Corinthians 8, chapter 1. Now concerning food offered to idols. So here, Paul um, straight away pivots, um, and he's answering, as we said, a question that had been asked about whether or not they can eat food offered to idols. We know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up but love builds up. So in other words, um, worldly knowledge or, or knowledge without love uh, merely just makes us um, arrogant. Um, so it's when, so this knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know what he ought to know, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Um, so we'll n never know everything um, but God recognizes the people who love him. And I think here, uh, it's love. It's that love that's more powerful um, than any knowledge. So I'd rather be known by God uh, than to possess the knowledge that, that Paul is talking about. But straight away, um, Paul is going into uh, the Greek love of knowledge. Uh, for them back then, it was... Um, something that they could sort of boost themselves up by if they, you know, had knowledge, and it was all the, all the rage. Um, and I think it's also interesting to note that Paul hasn't straight away answered the question of can they eat meat, um, sacrifice to idols, but rather he's sort of calling them back to that reminder of what Christian love is. Uh, moving on. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, as one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Verse 7, however, not all of us possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, Eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. So Paul's saying not everyone has that knowledge that, okay, we're free uh, in Christ, and they, uh, if they were to eat uh, meat offered to idols, they would, their conscience would say, okay, that's a sin, um, and therefore that's, that's what Paul's saying, that they will be um, sort of destroyed in their conscience that way. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. So, so here God is neither saying, uh, he's neither here nor there about food, um, but he's rather saying that it's not about the meat, um, but it's about your heart and your motives and your conscience. And it's about those around you, um, if we remember this for later. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak, for if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will, be, will, not be, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offers, offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed, the brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brother and wandering their conscience when it is weak. You sin against Christ. Therefore... If food makes my brother stumble, and I think this is Paul's big thing, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. 
So in Paul's day, the burning question was, can a Christian eat meat that has been sacrificed to an idol? So you just imagine you're a person in Corinth, you're walking around, um, you are uh, part of various temples, you, you um, worship various gods and deities, um, and then you meet Jesus. And then you know you've been, sa- you've been saved by the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made on the cross and is following resurrection, but you have all these burning questions. You're hungry, and you head down to your local butcher, uh, you're after a 500 gram ribeye, um, and you, know, you see all the, the meat, um, some of it's on sale, uh, which was highly likely back then uh, to have uh, meat that had been sacrificed to idols uh, as generally pretty cheap. And you ask yourself, am I allowed to do this as a Christian? See, this brings into view, uh, as I said before, modern questions of can I drink, can I smoke, can I watch questionable things? So what's, a, what's allowable and what isn't? Um, it's no secret that Christians today are very divided. On the one hand, you've got, um, yeah, go for it, do whatever you want, we're saved by Christ. Uh, and then you've got the other end of the spectrum saying, no, uh, you can't do any of that. Our bodies are temples and um, then there's you know, everyone in between. But how do we know um, and what does the Bible say? So, um, yeah, when living life for Christ... I think this, this passage poses four main questions um, for us to ask ourselves. Um, so if you're taking notes, the first question is, does it violate the Bible? Why is it so important for us to ask what the Bible says? And I think um, the answer is simple. It's because the Bible speaks to all people uh, at all times in all places. It's very clear uh, on many issues Uh, Even the ones, I think, uh, in today's age we struggle with. Homosexuality, gender identity, um, any identity really. Uh, But if you conclude that the Bible does speak to it, then there's really, um, all you have to do then is decide what you're going to do with that. Decide whether or not you are going to um, obey what the Bible says. And just to be clear, the Bible does not at all say to stop loving anyone who finds themselves caught uh, in that life, uh, but rather to treat them as Christ would with love uh, and encouragement. So there are two kinds of people in the world, regardless of who you are, uh, and that is those who put themselves in a position of authority over the Bible uh, and those who put themselves in a position under it with, um, yeah, taking the Bible's authority to be true. And those who position themselves over it uh, like to pick and choose the parts um, that they like or don't like or that find, them, uh, find themselves comfortable with or uncomfortable with. And I think uh, that we can uh, all say that we're fairly guilty of this from time to time. It's, it's not always comfortable uh, reading everything in this book. But the thing is, it's not just a book of suggestions. Uh, Earlier on this year, we uh, did the Ten Commandments, uh, and that's exactly what they were, the Ten Commandments, not the Ten uh, Suggestions. And what does that mean? It means that we need to make a choice. I've learned in my very short life that I am not the best uh, at making decisions 
to um, live the best life that I can. I've learned that life's pretty hard, it's pretty unfair, and it's almost like I need something or someone outside of me uh, to be telling me what kind of life is best lived. It's kind of like having an object. Uh, I thought for hours and hours on what object I would say uh, in this message, and I couldn't really think of one. Um, but you've got an object, and it's, it's complex. Uh, it's been made. Um, and it's, you're sure that it's got, there's a reason it was made. Um, you're sure that it's got a purpose. Um, and you're not entirely sure what that purpose is. Well, how, the, how do you work that out? And the only way you can do that is to ask uh, the person who made it. So God is our creator and sustainer and the creator of all things uh, and the author of all things, who knows all things. It says it right here in this book. So surely we would want to be listening to his guidance on how to live a fulfilling life. If you're here today and you don't uh, have your, a Bible of your own, um, yeah, I really encourage you. I haven't really spoken to Jacko about that, but um, yeah, grab one of these Bibles up the front or down the back, uh, and we'd really love for you to make it your own, uh, because I think it's so important to be um, spending time in this Word of God and uh, learning about his character and... Um, yeah, so I just encourage you in that today. But what happens if the Bible isn't overly clear? And what if there is a so-called grey area? As Christians, we love that word. Uh, that brings us to our, our second question of, of should I do it? Or what is my conscience telling me? What's my motivation? See, the Bible tells us that we all have the Spirit of God in us, as Romans 8.11 says. And when we uh, live a life of sin, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. But if we live a life pleasing and honoring to him, uh, we can then um, become a blessing to others and our, spirit, our lives are transformed, as it says in uh, Romans 12. See, this is why it's so important to be in the word and aware of its teachings. So the problem with the gray area, though, is what's sin for me might not be uh, a sin for someone else. See, what happens when there isn't a clear-cut command like you shall not commit murder? Let's take alcohol, for example. I uh, had a friend, and her dad served with my dad on the mission field. Um, and when I left school, I, I went over to Queensland uh, to visit them. Uh, and it was the third night, uh, or the third game of, of State of Origin, so we, we all decided to go down uh, to the pub. And, uh, and watch that. Thankfully, it was the, uh, the game that Queensland broke the record and smashed New South Wales, uh, something crazy like 56 to 4 or something. I can't actually remember now. Anyway, and I said that uh, I'd buy the first round. You know, being a, a keen 18-year-old, uh, felt really good to say that. Uh, and uh, her dad said, no, not for me, thanks. Uh, I'm, I'm not drinking. And I, I, th I thought to myself, oh, that's pretty odd because this is a guy that um, enjoyed a beer with my dad um, growing up. I uh, didn't think much of it, but I learnt afterwards that um, he'd had a bit of an alcohol problem uh, prior to, yeah, prior to when I'd known him. Uh, and thinking back to that, he obviously, that was a wrong for him at that point in time because, um, yeah, that, that's just what his, his conscience was telling him. I think it's important for us to be careful not to let our conscience dictate what another believer's conscience ought to think about various issues 
because it becomes legalism and it brews disunity. So if the Bible doesn't definitively condemn it, and my conscience is clear, I think there's two, two important questions that we still need to be asking ourselves. And the third one is, what are my weaknesses? What are my personal temptations? I think here we have to be really honest with ourselves because we can be our own stumbling box as well. Let's look at tattoos. And I know you're thinking, oh, Michael, you're a weirdo, you've got tattoos. Um, you're probably real keen what I have to say on them. So the New Testament is fairly quiet about tattoos, but Leviticus does say, do not mark your body. And again, context is the big thing. It's saying, uh, do not take on the mark or the names of pagan gods. So a big tattoo of Satan's face is probably not what you want to be getting, but uh, what if it's a, a meaningful tattoo? Um, I think then uh, we need to ask ourselves, like, well, if your weakness is constantly trying to attract attention to yourself, the, if I get this tattoo, uh, it'll connect me in with a group of people like-minded, or I'll get questions on it when people ask, you know, what are your tattoos? Um, See if your motivation is in the acceptance and attention of others and it becomes an identity thing for you, uh, then maybe we need to think twice about it. It takes away from our humility and meekness before the Father. Watching sexually rich films if you've struggled or, or have struggled with pornography. Uh, coming from someone who did struggle for a very long time, uh, it's maybe not the thing you want to be doing. See, some of these things aren't as black and white as we'd want them to be. And I th actually think that that's a good thing because it forces us to ask ourselves, well, what does the Bible say? Uh, what is my conscience telling me? And does it give rein to any of my weaknesses? And it leads us to our fourth question. And this is why I think Paul started the passage with speaking about um, that beautiful Christian love. And that question is, what do the people around me need from me? How will my actions affect those who see me doing them? Going back to my, my friend's dad, I'd love to say that I didn't um, touch alcohol that night, but uh, being a young man, uh, not very mature, uh, that wasn't the case. Um, but given again that situation, I definitely uh, would hold off and realize that, hey, he's not drinking for a reason, so maybe I shouldn't be. Thankfully, he is a lot more mature in his faith uh, than I was or am. So having the freedom and having a clear conscience and having no weakness in the area, all of these things must be tempered with Christian love. Now, what is Christian love, you ask? It's time for a, a nice Sunday morning scenic drive. See, the bottom line is that we are all inherent sinners. And without the sanctifying blood of a perfect lamb, deserve, we deserve God's wrath or wrath. Sorry, South Australia. It sounds pretty full on, um, and that's because it is. But um, brothers and sisters, there is good news. And if you haven't heard it yet, I'm so keen to be the one to be able to tell you. And if you have, I really hope this is encouraging for you. But Jesus was and is that perfect lamb who gave himself freely so that we might be set free from the chains of sin and death. So in other words, so that our relationship with him could be repaired, um, 
Second Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, God loved us enough to send his only son to die for us, as John 3.16 says. So surely, because of this love, knowing that we are saved by it, we would want to be uh, extending it to those around us, being an encouragement to them and building them up, especially new Christians. As a church, I wonder how we go uh, with welcoming and bringing in new Christians and encouraging them. See, we may, we may all run around thinking that we're free to do this, we're free to do that, but our freedom is tempered by Christian love. If it causes someone to stumble, then you're in sin. And not only that, but you are not loving them as Christ wants you to, as Christ does. Act in love. See, at City Light North Adelaide, we can't just start making lists of, okay, what's allowed and what isn't, what is going to make someone stumble and what isn't, because before we know it, um, we'll be far along and, and our church will be rife with legalism and division, uh, as we've talked about back in chapter 3. But we must be conducting ourselves in a way that is loving to those around us. This may mean giving up certain freedoms from time to time, having a drink, dressing how we want, watching whatever we want. It's all so that we don't cause our brothers and sisters to stumble. And how do we do this? Well, I think if we take on the counsel of the Most High, then we'll be blessed and we'll be able to be a blessing to those around us. See, it's the importance of living in the Word. Um, I'm so thankful to be a part of a, a DG or a discipleship group that um, goes through the Bible and really uh, unpacks it and understands or strives to understand um, what it says about God's character and His plans for us. And I think the importance of that is incredibly great. And as a church, I think we need to stop thinking, not that we do, but as a Christian, what I'm allowed to do and how close can I get to the line without going over it? And we should start thinking, as a Christian, how can I give myself so as to maximize my evangelical influence and be a building block rather than a stumbling block to those around me? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for who you are and for your um, provision of your word and for your outpouring of love on us. I pray that you um, yeah, will continue to speak to us in this uh, and that you will um, keep us vigilant and keep us accountable um, in how we are portraying ourselves uh, around our brothers and sisters. I pray for wisdom for all of us um, as we not only go into this week, but go into every day from now on. Um, that you will be um, the forefront of every action. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church, North Adelaide. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church, North Adelaide, visit us at citylight.church/northadelaide.